Miracy. And so for the newer coaches going into that, it's a very delicate balance because if you have not quite built enough credibility and trust yet around the group that you're working with, it may be challenging for you to specifically talk to an owner and say, by the way, this person needs to no longer be here, not part of these meetings, or is the wrong person for that role. Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped more than 70,000 coaches create profitable and thriving businesses. In this podcast, we're answering burning questions that newer coaches would love to ask a more experienced coach. Great CEOs or managers strive to do right by their employees. They strive to treat them well, motivate them to succeed, and provide the support and coaching that each person needs. And this is often easier said than done. And sometimes they need to hire a coach to help them accomplish change. Now, as far as change goes, it can be an extremely rewarding experience. However, sometimes the coaching relationship can become frustrating to you and or the client. So what could cause your frustration? Maybe think about the Eeyore on the team who is chronically pessimistic or the team member who just refuses to follow through with everything but has a smile on their face. So what do you do? How do you overcome tough coaching challenges with clients? To discuss these issues, I've invited Sean Johal to the conversation today. Sean is a business growth coach and a certified scaling up expert. He's the founder of Elevation, a business coaching and consulting firm that helps entrepreneurs and their teams to speed up their growth, but also helping them find personal balance and happiness. He's written The Happy Leader, a book on leadership, karma, and the power of change. Welcome, Sean. Thank you for having me, Melinda. Very excited to be here. I am so thrilled to have you on the show today. Before we get into the topic, would you mind just sharing a little bit of your background so I'm, um, I'm a coach, but I'm also an entrepreneur. I've had an LED lighting business for approximately 12 years. That's still going strong. And what's a little bit unique for me is that I was on the other side of the table. So we had actually brought in a business growth coach on our end, a scaling up coach to help us when we had hit a wall. So it's really interesting because I got to see it from the entrepreneur side. And about four years ago, I shifted over to the bright side, to the real sunshiny side here with the, the coaches. And now I'm helping a lot of different companies grow profitably. And so what are the struggles that coaches have in working with business leaders? It could be a CEO or a owner of a business, an entrepreneur, any sort of leadership role. Like what are some of those struggles that coaches have working with those types of clients? So um, the number one biggest issue that, that I have definitely faced is the mentality and the mindset of the entrepreneur, the owner, the founder. The person really at the top of the, the food chain, if you want to call it that way. Um, the issue that you have is that scaling up is a very inclusive methodology. It's incredibly collaborative. And you want the people around the table giving feedback, providing strategic insight, really being part of the conversation. The thing is, some business owners are not actually open to that. They think they are. and They think they want their team to be very involved. But often, they'll just come lay down the hammer and make final decisions when the team had kind of decided to go in a different direction. So it's actually quite a big challenge when the owner is not truly open-minded or willing to have the rest of the group participate strategically. 
I would say that is the number one problem. A lot of times that problem comes from the fact that it's not the right people around the table. So we will help the owner understand and see that. But let's not forget that they've put those people in those seats, right? So right. it's not always an easy conversation to have. Right. And so how do you how do you work if that's your client for those in our audience that are listening and they're working with leaders? How do you work with somebody when you as the coach see that discrepancy? So that's where you have to be very comfortable in your level of transparency and level of courage. And this is not something when I started, even though I came from the entrepreneurial background and had a coach for six years, it was still very hard to do because I'm kind of a high yellow personality for for those who know the color types, it's the high influence social butterfly. uh, And I like to be liked. So it's really tough when you got to sit down with who's now technically your boss, right? Because it's your client and it's a person who's paying you and you have to make them aware that they're not actually giving the room enough space and giving the, the people around the table um, you know, the opportunity to share the right way. So it does need to start with a very transparent conversation. Um, I usually start a little bit softer, really trying to explain, especially after a meeting, it's a, a lot easier to give examples of situations where the leader did not give others opportunity to speak or they took over a certain decision when the team didn't agree. And by bringing up specific examples, I find is a lot better than doing some type of finger pointing or just telling the person, you know, you did this the wrong way. I'm really putting them into context with it. Um, so I think that to me is, has been probably the most efficient way of going about it. Now, a lot of these leaders are very stubborn and they're very strong willed <laughs> and they don't respond well to it. But what I have noticed is that the good ones will, even though they may be taken aback or a little frustrated at first, usually a few days later, they'll be able to take a step back and realize, you know, the feedback that was given was actually quite true and quite on the mark. You mentioned when you were newer at this, it was harder because a lot of the folks listening in are newer in their journeys. They may just be a couple years into it, but it's still pretty early in their coaching. And did you ever, um, I don't know, fear that you would piss them off so much that they would stop working with you? Because that's a fear that I hear is like, I don't want to rock the boat because I need this client. I want to keep this client. I need this revenue. And so that's the driver. So as a newer coach, did you ever have that experience? So it's such an amazing point, Melinda, and it's so true. And my mentality has changed tremendously with that, having the good fortune of doing this for four years and now having a completely filled pipeline and having other clients kind of waiting to start. And now I can allow myself to be very different than what I was back then. I absolutely had the fear to address it and go forward and have those types of discussions. And a lot of times I avoided them, to be honest with you. Um, and it was a problem because I would dread going to those specific client meetings. So on one side, you're saying to yourself, oh, I need to keep this client. It's an important client. They're paying me. But on the flip side, you're literally looking at your calendar and you're saying, oh, gosh, on Tuesday, I have to deal with this leader who I know is going to be shutting down the room, who I know is not going to be you know, generous and open-minded and open-spirited. So a lot of times at first, I think a tendency coaches will have is to avoid it. I think that's the natural tendency. It's not good, but it's normal. I think it's totally normal to do that. But the sooner you can realize that that is just putting you in a definite, I'll call it a failure on the way, because what will happen is the more you allow that to happen in the meetings, the less empowered the rest of the team is going to feel and the less you will actually succeed with the client. And what will happen is you'll be in what I call the doom loop, where now you haven't addressed it. Now there's no collaboration in the group. None of the ideas are getting spread. Now the leader's making all the decisions. And then you're just going in that reverse loop where nothing's getting accomplished because it always comes back to the owner just deciding everything in the end. 
I've really chosen, to be honest with you, to eventually walk away from a few of these clients when it was a little too intense. So when I really felt that the owner was absolutely not going to change and I realized that the values fit was just not there, I've made the decision to walk away. But it's a very tough decision to make for a new coach. And I understand that, especially financially, if you're dependent on a few key clients. So you got to try to balance on how far you're willing to take the conversation and how much you're willing to suffer through it. Yeah. And I've learned over the years uh, that the tough love, right? Those tough conversations. And when I have a, a difficult coaching client, I remind them, I'm like, you know, why did you hire me? What's not happening that you want to happen? And just going through a few simple coaching questions to help them get back to, is that still true? Why they hired me? Maybe they've decided, no, we don't need to have a different approach. This is just what it's going to be. Well, then I don't need to be here. But just checking in with them and going back to, why did you hire me? Because my role is to ask these difficult questions. My role here is to have these tough conversations so that you can grow into a new and different place. And that's exactly what I'm doing. So why are you resistant? And then finding out what's really going on and trying to open up that conversation. And one of my favorite things that I always love to ask myself and I ask my clients in that kind of a moment is, are you more committed to being right and in control? Are you more committed to change and the success and the vision that you have? Which one of those are you more committed to right now? And I let them make that choice. I really love that perspective, Melinda. I think it's, it's a tremendous way of going about it and looking at it. I learned two really amazing things from a book that I would recommend that every single one of your coaches reads. And it's not a coaching book, but it's called Never Split the Difference. It's actually a negotiations book from Chris Voss. And when you're having these conversations, you are having a bit of a negotiation. And there's two things that really stuck out for me. And similar to what you're saying, the first thing that stuck out for me that he explains in the book is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So being a diagnosed uh, optimist, I'm I'm actually a diagnosed optimist. uh, That's a whole other discussion. But I always think things are going to go well, right? I always think, okay, this conversation, we're just going to go into it. It's going to be amazing. We'll figure out a solution. But that's not always true. There's going to be conversations that are going to be incredibly uncomfortable. They're going to be tough to have and that you don't want to have. But if you can have the mindset going into it that you know in advance that you're going to be uncomfortable, I think that's a really, really great way of approaching it. And another question that he likes to ask, which is, again, very in line with what you mentioned, is asking the question, is there still a path forward here? Do we still have the opportunity to change things and move things forward and really put the onus back on the owner? By asking that question, you're kind of implying that the path is blocked right now, that you can't really move forward. So by putting it back on them and saying, do you see a path forward here? Because from our last meeting, it doesn't look like there's a path forward necessarily with the type of coaching that we need to do because it needs to be collaborative. Yeah. And I love that. And you know, one of my values is transparency. I find that when I can be transparent with whatever's going on, it's like, like that you just said, is there a path forward here? I'm wondering that. So let me just ask it. Let me be transparent and put that on the table and then let there be a discussion and a coaching conversation around it. That begins to kind of untangle the rigidness or the unwillingness that might be creeping up because of who knows what reason, but it begins to untangle that and allow new opportunities to show up. But I find that transparency is often a great approach for coaches Especially early on when you were describing, you know, that fear of that losing the client and avoiding those necessary conversations. You know, in those early days, I would say, I'm really nervous here that if I ask the questions I know I need to ask, 
you're going to become pissed off or however I might word it, depending on who's sitting in front of me. And I would voice that to the client and they would appreciate the transparency. I never had anybody who didn't appreciate it. And I never had a moment where that transparency didn't just kind of melt the tension away so that conversations could be had and ways could be found forward. What's been your experience with transparency or is there another approach that you take within those situations? I love the way you bring it up. I think the transparency is absolutely key and absolutely important. There's one thing I would definitely make a new coach ask themselves, which is it's just a challenging question. Are you willing to lose the client? Like, are you willing to walk away from this client? Because that's going to let you determine how far you're truly willing to take the conversation, in my opinion. So when I've seen the client cases that are really extreme, so these leaders that are just really not willing to listen, really not willing to be collaborative, it's always the same reason. It's always the fact that the, the owner, leader, CEO isn't willing to kind of have the team participate strategically. And every single one of those cases that's happened for me, there's been about maybe five of them over the last four years. They were all what I would deem failed coaching mandates at the end of the day. They all lasted too long as well because I was not willing to walk away because I want to be liked. And this is like a problem of mine. And so I wasn't willing to take my transparency as far as I should have at first. And that's where that caused the problem. And the reason it's happened a lot more when my early days were happening is because now I'm much pickier about the clients that I choose. So I'm able to see a lot quicker and easier if the client is going to be problematic and isn't the values fit. So I'm kind of doing a, a top grading, if you will, you know, an assessment on my clients now to say, hmm, is this client really going to be open-minded and take on this process seriously and in the right way? And if I don't feel that's the case, I'll usually walk away now. So I think the coaches need to ask themselves that. Are they willing to go far enough where the relationship may end, the, the, the mandate may end? I love that. It reminds me of something that I say that even in the middle of a conversation, like if you and I are having a coaching conversation, I'm like, Sean, I need to share this with you. You're probably going to get irritated with me and that's okay. But as your coach, this is my responsibility that you know maybe we'll never have another conversation again, but this needs to be said. This needs to be put on the table. And so I actually not only ask myself that, but I say it in that way to the client, A, to kind of prepare them for what's about to come when I really press that edge, and B, to just hold the container to see what's possible. And if not, well, I did my job because somebody needed to say it, and that's what they're paying me to do. Absolutely. And you know, Melinda, the, the, I think the most important point of all uh, that you and I are saying right now is that you have only a certain amount of control as coaches. It only goes so far. You know, you're not actually able to fully change another individual if that leader isn't open-minded enough to hear that kind of feedback. For sure, they're going to take it badly. For sure, they're going to end the mandate. For sure, they're going to move on and just blame you as a coach to say, "Well, this coach wasn't good enough or not experienced enough." But at the end of the day, you know, the to give that feedback and to be honest about it, I think is the only way to have a, a truly strong relationship with our clients. So let's look at the situation where we do have that challenging client that is being rigid or being stubborn or whatever those adjectives might be. You know, what gets in the way of their change? How can we as coaches help that client to break through those patterns that got them to the place where they are to begin with, why they hired us? How can we help them in that moment? I mean, we've already talked about some of these things, but how else would you approach that client? So I have a couple of ideas and things that I've done in the past on this. And some are, are kind of what I call the softer skills and some may be a little bit on the harder side. So we'll start with the hard stuff. 
So what I like to sometimes do is shift my hats a little bit and go from being a coach to being a little bit more of a consultant. And what I mean by that is I will actually give the client like super specific examples, especially now over four years, I've worked with about a hundred different clients. I have a lot of examples. I have a lot of situations. And even though every business is unique and every entrepreneur wants to think that they're unique, things are not that unique from business to business. The same problems come up, right? It's the same people problems, same execution problems. You see the same problems come up and you have the same problems from the listening perspective, from the lack of openness. So I'll often use that kind of bank of examples that I have and maybe go a little bit more into consultancy mode where I'm telling them exactly the example of what happened and also the solutions that came from it and how we did things differently. And I'll literally say, and I believe this is how you should be doing it. You know, and to me, that's a bit different for being a coach where a coach is going to do a lot more moderating and asking the right questions and guiding a person into the right direction, whereas a consultant will tell you exactly what you need to do. And sometimes now I feel comfortable enough where I will say, listen, this is not working. The way you behaved or the way things went down in the last meeting, it didn't work for this reason. I've seen this in another company. This is what happened. It was very problematic. And here's what we did to to change the way the meeting went. And this has happened with some really amazing clients that are still amazing clients today that have been able to look at that and say, you know what, you're right, this needs to change and I, and I need to change. So I think if the coaches can think about that a little bit, read up a little bit on the differences between a coach and a consultant and understand when the time is right, it's not always, you really have to know when to use it, but when to become more of a consultant in a relationship. So that's something really important, I think. And as you mentioned in the bio, I've written a book called The Happy Leader, and I'm obsessed with the journey to personal happiness, with balance, with listening skills, with meditation, with visualization. And I teach my clients these things. And so this is what I'm talking to you a little bit about what I call softer skills. I'll often work with these leaders in helping them. I'll give them a copy of my book. I'll take them through my, you know, happiness roadmap. I'll explain to them the concepts in there. And again, if I can see that they're open enough to it, I'll try to help them work on their soft skills, which always leads them to being better in their professional life. So I think if you can help them potentially see some of the soft skills that need to be developed better in a meeting and maybe giving, again, some real world examples and using maybe your personal life, if you can, in there, I think that makes quite an impact, too. I love the idea of using the stories and the examples so that then the client can make the choice because it's ultimately up to them. Uh, and they can identify inside that story and see where the mistakes were made. So it's not about them, it's about the other person. And then they can take those stories and apply the solutions. And I want to just share a tip for those that don't have an arsenal of stories, use your own story as an example where it's appropriate and just use other popular life world stories. They don't even have to be your own clients, but just scenarios where you uh, know the situation, you can see the situation. It's very similar to what you're talking about and use it as an analogy. So for those newer coaches, I don't want you to sit there when you hear this and say, oh, well, I don't have any clients, so I don't have any stories, so that's not going to work for me. It's not true. It'll just evolve over time where you can add that into your arsenal as well. Now, let's. we've been talking about coaching the leader, right? Whatever that leader role is. Let's paint a little different picture. So let's say that a coach is hired to coach a team uh, and they've got an action plan in place for the change to happen for the results that they want, but it's not working. And the team is involved in the blame game, right? How does a coach herd the troops or uh, work inside that scenario where people on the team, they're not taking ownership, but they're blaming 
other team members? It's uh, something that I think unfortunately happens all too often in businesses, especially businesses that haven't built kind of a strong culture of accountability. So this is a little trick for, for coaches. Try to get the individuals around the table to not think about their departments. Try to get them to think as if they're the board of directors of the actual organization. And if they're around the table and you're actually coaching that type of team, usually the people should be strong enough and well-positioned enough to do that. Now, when you're able to do that, you're actually removing that emotional attachment they have to either the sales department or the operations department or the R&D and innovation department. And you're saying, no, you're not in sales right now. You are the board of directors of this company. What should the company be doing to move forward in the right direction? And that completely changes the, the mentality and the philosophy. And again, it brings in that inclusiveness of the entire group around the table. When we're then assigning accountability, after we've made those decisions, after we've decided what are the key priorities that the company needs to work on, then we'll eventually assign someone's face, if you will call it that way, uh, to the actual priority. There'll be a much more actual accountability. And it takes away any of the personal or emotional issues that you'll often see between teams that are having conflict. I don't necessarily believe it's your role as a coach to go in and start mediating between all the different team members. At least that's not how I see you know, my role. Um, and a, a lot of times the leader, again, should be the one getting involved in that. However, what I like to do is I like to work with a lot of the individuals on a one-on-one -on -one basis and really not take sides, really take an incredibly neutral approach, which every great coach should do, and really get them to see both sides of the coin for them to understand and then give them some tips and tricks on how to go and address that other individual. But since I'm doing with all the individuals, they're all kind of getting the same type of learning. And a lot of times that will lead to better cohesion. Yeah. Now you mentioned earlier that when there's mediation, that's when the leader of the business or organization or team would ideally step in. And, you know, in another episode, my guest talked about how to fire a client. But when we are working with teams and you've got a team that all in all is pretty good, but one or more team members needs to no longer be on the team. How does the coach handle that situation? So I'm definitely going to take this question in two different ways because there's the early coach in me and then there's the more experienced coach in me. Mm -hmm. And so for the newer coaches going into that, it's a very delicate balance because if you have not quite built enough credibility and trust yet around the group that you're working with, it may be challenging for you to specifically talk to an owner and say, by the way, this person needs to no longer be here, not part of these meetings or is the wrong person for that role. Um, typically, you know, what I see as a New York coach, what I would recommend doing is really allowing the process that you're using itself to let that shine through. So again, if you're going to use some type of process of accountability, it'll become very apparent very quickly that that individual is either not keeping up with the rest of the group, not saying the right things in the meeting strategically, or not getting their own priorities accomplished. And they'll almost in an unfortunate way, but in, in a necessary way, they'll kind of weed themselves out as being the weakest link in the team, and it'll be very apparent. The problem with that approach is that it usually takes time. And the longer you let that linger and fester, the longer the team's not going to be functioning at its optimal level. When you get more experience, you can typically take on that role and make those decisions much, much quicker. I've gone to the point now where after we usually kick off things with the first two days of strategic planning. Typically, after those two full days, I'll have a, a kind of a postmortem with the, the, uh, the leader, CEO, and I will tell that person right away, oh, by the way, you know, that individual, the VP sales should, is absolutely the wrong person and should not be part of this team and shouldn't be part of your organization. And sometimes they already know, and sometimes they're completely shocked. 
I'm willing to go there and tell them that knowing that we need to quickly make that change. But again, be willing to have that courage to actually tell someone that that's a fine line. You have to have a tremendous amount of confidence to be able to do it. Now let's look at it from a a little different perspective. So you're working with an organization, you're coaching a team. What happens in the scenario where the team or maybe just a few people in the group, they call the coach and start complaining about the CEO, the leader, whoever that leader of the organization is? How do you respond to that? Can you can you share a little bit about that? So this has happened several times to me. <laughs> you know, it's a very challenging situation. So I make sure that I stay 100% impartial. I think that's very important for the coaches to realize. Do not ever take a side in these situations. That is just a recipe for disaster. So don't take the side of the person. Don't take the side of the CEO. That's where you really have to become an amazing coach at that point. Ask the right questions. Really, really probe to see if there's a deeper issue, if there's something else that needs to be dealt with further in there. And then provide a lot of guidance, tools, and feedback on how they could address that directly themselves with the leader and make sure you pull yourself out of there. I think, again, taking that neutral, you know, complete role, asking a lot of questions, understanding the root of the actual problem, then providing some experience sharing, some advice and tips on the way they should approach it with the, the CEO. Definitely book a follow-up call you know, quite soon thereafter to see if it actually worked out. Yeah. You know, earlier you mentioned something. You talked about your book, The Happy Leader, and you're all about finding happiness and that self-care and the meditation. And now you're speaking my language. Like, that's what I love. And I want to ask you about that because as coaches, sometimes our coaching calls are amazing and oh my gosh, and they dazzle us and wow us. And we are so inspired. Sometimes they are tough situations and tough scenarios like we've been talking about today. How do we take care of ourselves? What is your recommendation? What is your experience, your suggestions so that we can practice self-care to keep our energy levels at a good place so that we're not getting swept into the story? We're not seeping out all of our energy and all of a sudden we're sputtering on fumes. Like, What advice do you have around that? Yeah, so this is obviously a passion topic for me, as it is for you, Melinda. I think we're both uh, pretty obsessed with this. You know, self-care has been kind of my entire goal, my entire life. Um, So obviously, making sure that you're taking care of yourself in every way possible is the only way for you to be able to take care of others. I mean, that's an absolute fact. If you're coming to a meeting tired, stressed out, overwhelmed, too busy, 100 emails in your email box that are unanswered, you're not going to be able to give that client the time, energy, and focus and, and, and precious coaching that they need. So for sure, you have to build in your own personal life a very clear habits uh, and, and a clear structure that allows you to bring that energy every single day. Uh, for me, I'm quite obsessed with doing different types of meditation. I do Wim Hof breathing, you know, obviously visualization, meditation, and, and a tremendous amount of exercise as well. Some journaling. Those are all fine and nice, and it, it's great that I can do those. But you know where the real key comes in for me, Melinda, is teaching my clients. So I don't care if I'm dealing with the CEO of a $200 million company or if I'm dealing with a little, you know, $2 million business. When I work with my clients, whether individually or in groups, I actually teach them how to do these things. I teach them how to do deep breathing exercise. I teach them how to meditate. I teach them how to visualize. And I've incorporated that into my business growth offering. And it's been a game changer. A lot of times my clients, when they talk to me about a session, they'll actually talk to me more about the soft skills that we worked on than the actual strategic planning that we did to bring their business to, to double, you know, which is a little bit crazy. I'm on a mission to help individuals improve their actual physical and mental health. 
as well as their businesses. So to me, I think it's a matter of incorporating. So yes, you want to do it for yourself. If you're really passionate about it, why not teach your clients how to do it? I love it. We could talk for six hours about this topic and probably longer. But right now, I want to just summarize a few things that we've covered in this incredible conversation. We talked kind of in the realm of working with teams, leaders, organizations about the top challenges that you might face when working with those leaders. And Sean, you shared with us that the number one challenge is around the mentality and the mindset of the business leader, that they might say they want to be collaborative, but they're really more controlling and how transparency can bring more awareness. And I love how you said to do that through sharing examples and stories, not finger pointing, but through those examples, help them see how to live into those examples. And you talked about in the early on, when you're an early coach, we went through the fear of losing a client and you might avoid necessary conversations. But then later, how you were willing to walk away from a client because you needed to say what needed to be said. And we talked about, uh, you called it the doom loop, that if you're not willing to have those conversations, you just kind of get in that loop and it really goes nowhere fast. Uh, we talked about that question, you know, are you more committed to being right or being in control versus the outcomes that we want to create as a tool to use with business leaders or team members? And you shared two great points with us, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and is there still a path forward here? It's a great coaching question. We talked about how transparency is a key to diffuse those stuck spots. And we talked about the softer skills and we got into the harder skills. And we even talked about how do you diffuse a situation when team members or other people in the group are blaming others? How can you elevate them to a different perspective, kind of getting them away from thinking of their role in their department into that board of directors so that they remove that emotional attachment? We talked about how to fire a team member. If you know that needs to happen, how do you handle that? You gave some great tips if the leader is the issue and how do you handle that if the team members are coming to you and as a coach, what you can do with that. And then, of course, my favorite topic about self-care so that we can be the best for those that we served. Sean, do you have any parting words for our listeners? Parting words uh, lead with courage. And once you start having that confidence as a coach, I think you'll probably see a big difference in the way you can talk to your clients. I think when we start out and we're newer, we're a little careful and we're a little, you know, walking on eggshells. But once you come in with that confidence and you can really be a true partner and not just a coach to your clients, I think it'll make a big difference. Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Sean for this wonderful conversation. You can find out more about him at elevationleaders.com. That's elevationleaders.com. Sean, thank you so much for coming to the show. Melinda, thank you. Really was amazing. You're fantastic as always, such a great public speaker and such a great uh, interviewer. So it was, it was a real pleasure. Thank you so very much. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Making It and Once Upon a Business. Cynthia Lamb produced this episode. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Eni is our executive producer and post-production was by Post Office Sound. If you want to listen to upcoming great episodes on Just Between Coaches, please follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening right now. 
And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud. We can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.